When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tense world. Today is Wednesday, February 7th. It was a surprisingly standard Wednesday in the pro tennis world. Yes, there were a few upsets. Maria Sakkari knocked out in Abu Dhabi. Francisco Sarundolo eliminated in Cordoba. But more broadly, I think any tennis fan listening today who might have missed out on any of Wednesday's scores, you're not going to be shocked by what you learn here on today's podcast. Now, that doesn't mean there wasn't plenty of intriguing tennis for us to still break down here on today's show, but I do think that was my biggest theme, my biggest takeaway from the last 24 hours in the tennis world. Things setting up relatively on script as we slowly but surely approach another championship weekend in the pro tennis world. Of course, on today's show, what I want to do for all of you tennis fans is catch you up on the last 24 hours of action. We've got five tour-level events on the calendar this week, a WTA 125K event on top of that, three ATP challengers as well. And of course, at the collegiate level, it's one of my favorite weekends we have of each and every season, the 2024 Division I National Team Indoor Championships kicking off this weekend. We've got the D1 Women's Championships starting Friday in Seattle. We'll actually have coverage, first ball to last, on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. It's, again, one of my favorite things we do here at Cracked Rackets to have the opportunity to provide a platform, to have the opportunity to shine a spotlight on what is, in my opinion, clearly the most energetic, the most passionate level of the sport we have. Also, the quality of play pretty damn high as well. So I know I continue to make this pitch this week here on the show, but sincerely, if you are a listener of this podcast and you are not already a fan of the college tennis universe, just dip your toes in the water. Give it a try this weekend. Again, coverage starting Friday, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We'll have coverage all day Friday, all day Saturday, and then of course coverage of the semifinals on Sunday, coverage of Championship Monday as well. If you'd like to hear a preview of that event, head on over to the Great Shot podcast feed. Our dear friend John Parsons and I breaking down the Division One women's draw, of course, against the Division One women this weekend in Seattle. Then next weekend, I'm off to New York for the Division One men's event. So busy times here at Cracked Rackets, but the best sort of busy when we're bringing to you again two of my favorite events on the calendar each and every year. Division One men's and women's national team indoor championship coverage over the course of the next two weekends available Friday through Monday on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. That said, again, we'll let the Great Shot podcast feed be the place we focus on that event here on the Mini Break podcast feed. I want to focus on all the pro-level action we have this week, run you through everything we saw over the last 24 hours in Abu Dhabi, Kluge Napoca, Marseille, Dallas, Cordoba, and of course at the 125K and Challenger level as well. I will point out 
I haven't forgotten to record my thoughts on who the best eight players in the world at this given moment are. I have finished recording that segment. Super producer Daniel Westhoff, though, thought it would be best as a standalone podcast. So for sure, that episode will be available for all of you listeners on Thursday. Again, it has already been recorded. Now it all needs is to be edited and then released for all of you listeners. So be on the lookout for that to drop on this mini break podcast feed within the next 24 hours as well. And a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westa, for all he does to make all of our content possible. A shout out as well to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right. That said, let's talk about a surprisingly standard Wednesday in the pro tennis world. And again, there were certainly a few upsets on the board, perhaps most notably the upset we saw at the 500-level women's event in Abu Dhabi, third-seeded Maria Sakkari, not just eliminated. This was a tough scoreline, knocked out 2-1 and one by Serana Kirstea in the round of 16. And look... It wasn't Sakari's best day at the office, made fewer than 60% of her first serves. This is someone who is a career 60% server, uh, career 60% clip, excuse me, but... You know, again, not only did she make fewer than 60% of her first serve, she double faulted more than five times. She won just 55% of her first serve points, 39% of her second serve points. And then here's the biggest concern. She faced 16 break points in this match. I understand a 2 and one scoreline, lopsided enough, surface value as is, but she faced 16. 16 different break points in this match. She fought off 11 of them, but ultimately broken five times. What I'm trying to say is, yeah, it was a 2-1 scoreline. It was a little bit closer than that 2-1 scoreline overall would convey. But, man, there was just never any rhythm for Maria Sakkari. Too many plus-one errors off the forward hand. Was never able to assert herself with that first serve, first strike combination, which has developed into a top-ten combination, I would argue, over these last three years in the women's game when Sakkari is clicking and firing on all cylinders and just she so thoroughly wasn't in this matchup in Abu Dhabi. Now, again, credit to Serana Kirstea. I went into this yesterday when I previewed the week. Kirstea is on career high watch. And again, she's got a massive segment of sunshine swing points to defend. It's what quarterfinals, semifinals, back to back. We went over that yesterday. But guess what? The 33-year-old, she's one spot off her career high ranking now by reaching the quarterfinals here in Abu Dhabi. Now, she'd have to win the event to reach a new career high of number 20 and surpass Alina Svitolina. I don't know how likely I think that is. But again, that runway to hit the career high ranking before now, she's got to defend all of these points. She's got about three weeks left to do it. And credit to the 33-year-old making the most of that opportunity this week. Now, she certainly didn't play poorly in her match today against Maria Sakkari, kept the pressure up, did a great job landing the first serve, landing the first strike, just not allowing Maria to play any sort of front foot tennis, by the way, for what it's worth. Kirstea fought off all six break points that she faced, but again, like, she faced six break points in this two-in-one match. It wasn't a lopsided, Sakkari was getting blitzed off the court in every service game, Sakkari was getting plus one to death. No, Sakkari had a million chances in this match, Anytime she had an opportunity, three errors in a row came off of her racket. There was just not a ton of rhythm for Maria Sakkari. And by the way, this is a news item I probably should have addressed earlier in the week, but a massive development on the coaching front. David Witt, 
uh, who had been working with Jessica Pagula since the start of 2020 and really throughout Pagula's ascension towards the top of the women's game. Jessica Pagula ending her relationship, coaching relationship with David Witt, the two separating, you know, it sounds like it was a Pagula-driven decision that she felt as she had stagnated, she might be looking for a new coach right now. Truth is, that's me projecting. Pagula hasn't addressed why, uh, what was the cause for the split. David Witt just says, I was not the one who drove this split, so thus indicating it was Pagula-driven. The reason I bring that up when talking about Maria Sakri, look, Sakri has worked with Tom Hill for two and a half, three years now along her ascent to the top of the women's game. And to some extent, you know, it does feel like Sakari might have plateaued. And by the way, if you're plateauing and you're seven in the world, it's a really good spot to plateau. You're not going to, again, Maria Sakari, Jessica Pagula, regardless of Jessica Pagula's family background, but based on what they've accomplished professionally, Maria Sakari, Jessica Pagula, they ain't going to need to work second jobs in their careers. They're going to be just fine having been professional tennis players, then getting to enjoy the rest of their lives doing whatever it is they want to do. But look again, for Maria Sakari, uh, one of my favorite stats was how through the first eight seasons of her career, excuse me, first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seasons of her career, she had consistently improved her first serve win percentage in each of her first seven seasons. Last year was the first year that wasn't the case. As her first serve win percentage fell to 67.3%, still above her career average, still a top 15 number in the women's game, but again, somewhat of a stagnation relative to the unbridled climb it had had over the first few seasons. I just wonder, my point is, I know she won that, got the second title, or the, the one title moniker off of her back, winning that second title in Guadalajara to end last year. And she ended last season playing really, really good ball. Heck, I thought she looked really good in her three victories in United Cup as well. Looked great in her first round versus Habino. Now it's just this weird two-match skid for Sakari against Avanisi and Kirstea, respectively, where just the rhythm was not there uh, for the 28-year-old. A weird start to her 2024 campaign. Again, heck of a win for Serana Kirstea, who's just doing everything well right now. Didn't have to do anything exceptional. Just stayed within the margins. That was enough. But again, two players who... So similar in their storylines, right? Sakari, Pagula, how they've ascended over the last two and a half years, have that one final threshold to climb. And yet, you know, again, some volatility, you know, again, some questions certainly early. Those were two players we talked all off season is if if new players are going to enter the top 10 this year, someone's got to give up their spots, right? And it just felt like Pagula, Sakari, You know, those were the two easiest names to turn to as maybe, just maybe, if something changes, those are the spots to turn to because all the other players who were in that top 10, you know, again, Von Drosova wins her first major title last year, Rabakina, Sabalenka, Sviantek, Goff, all clearly on the ascent or at the very peaks of their powers, and those peaks obviously a little bit higher than what we've seen from Pagula Sakari to date. Anyways, I guess... You can hear more about all that when I break down who are my current top eight players in the world uh, for all of you listeners tomorrow. But that's a tough loss for Maria Sakari. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Certainly our most notable upset of the day is every other seat advanced in Abu Dhabi and particularly impressive. Someone else who's also on my list of, look, if a top 10 spot's going to come open, someone's got to fall out. For me, I think I have to put Ans Jabir in that category. Obviously, we know what the highs are. This is a multi-time slam finalist, but whether it be injuries or just 
inconsistency in single match ceiling versus floor delta. Like there have been some stinkers for Jabur over the past six months in a way that there just weren't for her from 2021 through, I don't know, halfway through 2023 or whatever it is that we were at. And, you know, again, for her to beat a very much, in my opinion, inform Emirata Kanu four and one in what is just her third match of the season, that is a very promising development for Anj Jabur, who just Everything she did was in rhythm. Fantastic job of getting Radakanu out of the center of the court, just preventing Radakanu from getting a ball in her strike zone, from preventing Radakanu from doing any sort of dictating with ease outside of when Radakanu landed the first serve for herself and generated those. Again, everything Radakanu had for herself, she had to work hard to generate. And that's testament to own, when Anz is at her best. She just takes away the thing you want to do most and makes you so uncomfortable. I was particularly impressed by Anz's performance. I thought that was the best she's looked all season. Now, there's only three matches to date in her sample size and catalog to turn to, but good win for Anz. She's through to the quarterfinals where she's got a tough date with Beatrice Haddad Maya. Haddad Maya 7-6-6-7-6-1 over Magda Lynette. Look, Haddad Maya just cranks. Like You look for Beatrice Haddad Maya now over her last 52 weeks in reaching the quarterfinals here now uh, in Abu Dhabi. Haddad Maya now uh, into what is, I believe, let's see, Beatrice Haddad Maya. Where are you? Beatrice Haddad Maya. Uh, how many quarterfinals has she made? Yeah, she's now into her sixth quarterfinal over the last 52 weeks. Look. That's top 10 number. It's tied for the eighth most uh, amongst top 50 players on the WTA Tour over these last 52 weeks. And, you know, again, where have those events been? Obviously, for her, Don Maya, the big breakthrough at the semifinals of the French Open last year, but now quarterfinals at this 500 in Abu Dhabi. She wins the Zhuhai Elite Trophy, you know, 9 through 16 competition at the end of last year. Quarterfinal at a 500 in San Diego as well. Quarterfinal at a 1,000 in Rome. Quarterfinal at a 500 in Stuttgart. The big results have all come at the biggest events for Beatrice Adonmaya. That's why she's sitting at 13 in the world right now. And honest to God, 27-year-old belongs there. Like The lefty is just, she's so solid with her plus one resume, so confident moving forward, sneaky consistent as well. And remember, this is someone who post-doping suspension pre-August 2020 was out of the rankings, had to work herself all the way back. And over the course of three and a half years and 300 legitimately matches, Beatrice Adonmaya, not 300, but over 200 matches during that stretch of time. That's how after it she got at the futures level, et cetera, building her way back. She has done so and more. Adonmaya uh, is the real deal. That's a really good win over again. What was a really physical first th- two sets and then Haddad Maya's weapons, physicality, just more consistent with them in the third. So Haddad Maya, three-set winner. Uh, she advanced to the quarterfinals. And then last but not least, Ashlyn Kruger looked really good today. Like, don't let the fact that she lost throw you off the scent of the 19-year-old American. I don't know that she's superstar in her future. I don't know if there's top 10 player in there, if she's quite dynamic enough as an athlete to go along with the power tennis she's capable of playing. But she can play some real power tennis and... Again, the contact points are flawless. The mindset is right. Just she wasn't ready for the physical test of getting stretched into the outer thirds, having to work your way back, having to be consistent in those uncomfortable positions as well. All the places Daria Kasatkina can stretch you to. And, you know, again, then the moment you float a second serve, you're just on a rope and on a string uh, to Kasatkina's doing the rest of the way. So I thought she looked really good. Another quarterfinal, by the way, for Daria Kasatkina, who... 
with this run, Kasakina into her seventh quarterfinal over the last 52 weeks. Obviously, that's one more than Haddad Maya. It moves her into a tie for sixth overall amongst top 50 players on the WTA Tour during that stretch of time. Quarterfinal set, again, that's your bottom half of the draw. Kasakina versus Kirstea. Jabur versus Haddad Maya. Kasakina Kirstea won once the career head-to-head. Haddad Maya won two in her career head-to-head with Anj Jabur. Of course, tomorrow, fun set of the second half, round of 16, Rabakina versus Collins, power tennis at its finest. After that, it gets a little funky. Buxa versus Watson. Cerebez Tormo versus Krechikova. That's a fun contrast of styles. And then, how about fun contrast in styles? Kalinina versus Samsonova, uh, your other round of 16 matchup. So that's, again, your top half of the draw in Abu Dhabi right now. Rubakina still the favorite, 31.7% after that. Jabur, 18.8. Kasakina, 12.5. Krechikova, 10.9. So, again, what's the abstract? The tennis abstract singles forecast saying it's saying we think it's Elena Rubakina's event to lose. And outside of, obviously, the one loss she took uh, in Australia. You know, again, I, this is going to be my hot take I ride with for as long as I can here this season. I still think the level we saw from Rubakina in that Brisbane final and beating Sabalenka, that's the best thing I've seen from any individual player so far this year. But look, we got 10 more months of tennis still to come. So I'm sure at some point uh, someone will work to surpass that. But that's where things stand right now in Abu Dhabi. Again, yes, we lost Sakari. Relatively standard today with the seeds going 3-1 and one overall. Let's move on next to Cluj-Napoca where, you know, again, like I, I don't think it was too dramatic of a day in terms of upsets. Yeah, you did get see a seed ultimately knocked out. Third seed did Anna Blinkova knocked out, but uh, I, I think she got knocked out 6-1. Yeah, 6-1-3-6-6-4 like, in what was a really tight three-set match with Nuria Parises-Diaz and... Look, blink of a 51 in the world. Parises Diaz right now, 132. I understand ranking-wise, that sounds a little bit lopsided, but we know Parises Diaz, her career high inside the top 75, the level she's capable of playing. It was an either-or match. A tough one, certainly, for the 25-year-old Blinkova, who felt like he had some momentum for her in particular coming out of the end of last season. She semis in Hong Kong, semis a 125K event, then third rounds Australia to start this year. You know, again, one and two between Linz, Kluge, and Apoka, respectively. But, you know, again, that's a massive win more than anything for Parises Diaz, who up 11 spots now, the 32-year-old to 121 in the live rankings as a result of the win. Good win for Anna Bogdan, the fourth seed, 4-4 four and four, over 18-year-old Erika Andriva. Top seed, Aranksa Rus, 4-6-6-4-6 love over the always tough out, the veteran qualifier, Alize Cornet. You know, again, we had a couple of other matches cleaned up from the first round in this one. Sarah Arani knocking out Katie McNally, 2-4. Cochiretto, 0-1 over Emiliana Arango. A lot of second-round action still to come in Cluj-Napoca. I apologize. I know that's not a lot for all of you listeners to absorb, but not, again— Pretty nondescript day of tennis. Pretty standard day. The Princess Diaz blink of a match was fine. I didn't see anything of particular note in watching the highlights from that one to feel the need to do a 10-minute monologue on anything I learned from Kluge Napoca today. So, again, we'll get back to that one tomorrow. Tennis Abstract tells me it's anyone's ball game, And the matchup to watch for tomorrow in particular is Carolina Pliskova versus Camille Kami- uh, Osario. Like, again, there's just an urgency for Pliskova. She's in jeopardy of falling out of the top 100. And it's hard to see a world where the former world number one, if she falls out of the top 100, she's talked openly about 
the finish line of her career is very much in sight. Once you're outside the top 100, the finish line kind of finds itself for you. Dare I say a must win for her? She's the favorite right now, 29, 20.9% according to Tennis Abstract to win the event, but I got to see her win an event to believe that level is still within Pliskova. Tricky test against the young Colombian. Again, some tricky players in the draw, right? Harriet Dart, indoor hardcourt. I'm always, I know what the Brit is capable of. Tatiana Maria, the slices, the physicality she throws at you. Her versus Arani, put two and a half hours on the clock, start there. You've got the Sevastova return to the court. She'll take on six-seeded Alina Evanesian in the round of 16. Clara Tossin, by the way, probably the most dangerous floater in that. I would love myself a Tossin Pliskova power tennis final. Includes Napoca. It's anyone's ball game right now. That's your WTA 250 update from Romania. Let's move now over to the men's side of things. Let's start in Marseille again. Pretty straightforward day of tennis overall. You look at uh, the results we saw from Marseille. Did we have any seeds upset? We did. It was one. It was Lorenzo Musetti. But again, a three and two loss to Thomas Mahak. Have you guys watched Mahak play of late? Like this is one of the ascending players we have right now in the women's uh, in the women's game excuse me in the men's game the 23 year old from the Czech Republic with this victory he's up to a new career high number 61 now in the live rankings and you know again the 23 year old who got a pretty straightforward straight set win over Murray in round number one you look at his results so far this season qualifies in Brisbane gets a win there third round Australian Open quarterfinals now Marseille keep in mind you look at how he ended last season and just overall he's 56 and 26 overall in his last 52 weeks last year he goes a ridiculous 28 and 12 at the challenger level picking up two titles making four finals as well by the way three challenger finals for him after the start of September four for him overall all after the month of June so there is a runway here for Thomas Mahak to again make a real push towards the top 50 make a real push up the ATP rankings before he's got to play a little bit more defense certainly uh, down the back half of the season but look at making the quarterfinals here Mahak now into a career uh, third tour level quarterfinal by the way all three of those quarterfinals have come in the last 52 weeks April last year he makes Houston quarterfinal Stockholm quarterfinal in October now the quarterfinal here in Marseille as well moves well attacks well good technique can take the ball early on the rise sneak it up by you guy can play it's as simple as that like I don't he does he have an outstanding jump off the screen weapon his movement he is extraordinarily fluid and I think he beats you to the spot well snaps the ball well but again him a guy like Matteo Arinaldi they're just a bunch of like really good really well-rounded maybe not great but really good really well-rounded rising players in their young to uh, in their early to mid-20s who are just like again this is Maybe I'm now old enough to appreciate this. This is our, what, fifth, sixth year doing this mini-break podcast, Cracked Rackets, starting summer of 2017. So I guess by August, it'll be seven years of Cracked Rackets. Our first full generation of players, dare I say, almost beginning to age out. Like, you just start to see, you start to see it. You can kind of feel it, right? Like, again, 
the GoFan generation is pretty much gone. Like those guys just don't have spots in the top 50 anymore. Perhaps the symbolism of RBA falling outside of the top 100 this week indicative of that fact. It's just like, again, it's the Echeveris of the world. It's the Mahawks of the world. It's the Umbears and Rusevoris of the world, etc. who are like, hey, no, I'm in my mid-20s. Like, I got to make these quarterfinals now. This is the peaks of my power. I don't want to have to work a second job. I don't want to have to go into tennis media. I really enjoyed watching the ATP script content thing, but I don't want that to be my future. And by the way, that's the best piece of ATP social media content ever. To those of you who haven't seen the ATP's released video of them making the mockery circa the NFL of how, you know, again, there's a script in the NFL, right? And everything's rigged. Well, the ATP did their parody of that, what an ATP script looks like and how it's played out every year. And it was just excellent. There was certainly some depth they could have gone into, a few more layers that maybe they left on the table, but maybe there will be a sequel. Maybe there will be a follow-up. Maybe this will become a yearly thing. That was a really enjoyable piece of content. Anyways, it, that was a really good win for Thomas Mahak. Just Musetti couldn't do anything to hurt him consistently. Musetti, and that's maybe Musetti's issue, is especially on this surface, very reactive. Again, using his speed, uh, using his fluidity to kind of react to what you're doing and try to beat you to the spot. That didn't work against Mahak, who didn't give away anything for free. And again, on these indoor hard courts, drives the ball so well, moves forward so well. It was a guy I had circled whenever Damien would come on 2019, 2020, 21 range. We'd always talk Czech tennis, Lechechka, Mahak. You could see the talent when these guys were rising up the challenger ranks. Well, now it's all starting to click. Third quarter final for the 23-year-old up to new career high in the rankings. Other than that, Good win for Hugo and Bear knocks out the tricky Hugo Gaston, 266163 after Gaston. The impressive three set win over Chapeau uh, in round number one after Chapeau had gotten him pretty easily the week before. Hatchinov looked really good as well, 2-2 two and two over RBA to advance to the quarterfinals. Again, Karen Hatchinov very quietly has been a top 12, top 10 guy when not injured now for what? 18 months consecutively, 16 months consecutively. Like, this is the best version of Karen Hatchinov, which makes sense because he should be age-wise at the peaks of his power. Turns 28 years old this year if he hasn't already um, as a 96-er. But, yeah, overwhelmed. Bautista, there's nothing RBA could do to hurt him. You look at the quarterfinals we've got tomorrow. Excuse me, round of 16 matchups. A lot of good ones. Herkos versus Shevchenko. In. Rusevori versus Davidovich Fokina. In. Uh, FAA versus Jung Zhijian in Lechechka versus Rinderkanesh. A lot of plus one weapons there. And then the best of all, Korda versus Dimitrov. I mean, think about that. Three of those are easy must-watches. Rusevori versus Davidovich Fokina. Contrast of style, speed of Davidovich Fokina versus just the relentless aggression. Rusevori is diet Yannick Sinner. Herkots versus Shevchenko. Shevchenko just throws the kitchen sink at anyone. He's one of my favorite competitors to watch right now because there's just an urgency he plays with on every shot. And then Korda Dimitrov, I don't need to sell. That is that is clear the schedule good. That is like, that's the match you're watching the highlights from on Thursday above any other match. So put it on the list. As of right now in Marseille, Dimitrov still the favorite, 23.1% after that. Hercots, 21.6. Umber, 17.1. Hatchinov, only 9.3%, but the reason for that is uh, Hatchinov faces the winner of, again, FAA, Zheng Zhijian, two guys who can play some serious plus-one tennis. Uh, that is going to be a powerful match, but again, FAA coming off of the win, uh, coming off of a semi last week. Round one win, 2-5 and five over Quinton Halise. 
for a guy who's looking to regain his rhythm, uh, I think he has certainly looked much more the part uh, he over the course of the past few weeks. I just I just think the game is falling back into place for FAA to be at a minimum the consistent top twenty player. We know at a minimum he is, and you know again once that base level is built back up, then you can start worrying about starting to challenge the big boys uh, moving forward. That said, again that's one of three two fifty events we have going on this week on the men's side. You've got Marseille. Uh, next up, of course, you've got the action in Dallas. And, you know, again, of the results we saw in Dallas, I don't think we saw, oh no, we did see one seed, two seeds, excuse me, upset, but like Duckworth, six and four over Chris Eubanks. It was the serve plus one forehand fest you expected it to be. Giron, four and three over Purcell. Garon's the more dynamic of the two, particularly on this indoor hardcore surface. Like Purcell is going to push forward, going to put pressure on Marcos. Marcos passed too well. Marcos found his backhand too consistently. The pace, the heaviness of the Marcos ball and his physicality, ability to absorb that aggressive tennis of Purcell. Marcos was, again, the more dynamic of the two players. Uh, good wins, by the way. Ricky Hijikata, 4-4 four four over Ethan Quinn. Man, Ricky is just a top 100 player. Like... And shout out to Rinky. Shout out to my guy, Will Blumberg, Rinky's former North Carolina teammate who we used to text back in the day. I mean, we still text, but I remember when Will was playing for UNC when Rinky came to school and they overlapped those two years, you know, because Will at the time was the guy in college tennis and I used to always rave. I was younger back then and I wanted, you know, again, I thought like, oh, this is for sure what a top 100 future player looks like. And Will used to always tell me like, hey man, you're excited about my future. You should see what Rinky's doing in practice. He's like, the level Rinky used to show at these North Carolina practices, he's like, was legendary. It's just like, it was laughable how good he would be at times. And yeah, again, the combination of athleticism, the grit, the speed, the, the ability to beat you to the spot, the well-roundedness of his skill set, his willingness to move forward with his speed. He just made Ethan uncomfortable. That's a good 4-4 four and four win. Uh, again, your other winner, Shelton, 3-3. Three and three. He didn't lose a point on serve in the second set against Michael Moe. Indoor hardcourt, the best version of Ben shouldn't lose a point with, when he's serving well, but speaks to his continued development. And then, you know, again, not a ton of pro quarterfinals for Ben. So to get to one here in Dallas, that matters, particularly given, again, how few points he has between now and his U.S. Open semifinal to defend in September. And then, look, Tommy looked really good. I, I continue to say Tommy has looked excellent in every match he's played but one this year, and that was the Kesmenovich. Uh, well, he even looked good in the Kesmenovich match, just not great. Like when he couldn't get over and clinch that fourth set, he looked awful in the fifth. But I still think Tommy's looked really good in every match he's played, even if he's what, like four and two overall on the year. Like the Draper match had everything to do with Draper in Adelaide. The Kesmenovich loss, that one, Tommy should have won. He, should, he had a match point. He should have gotten over the finish line in the fourth set breaker. Anyways, good win for Tommy to kick off his Dallas campaign. That said, still very early in Dallas. we got a bunch of round of 16 matches still to come tomorrow. Tiafo versus Mickelson, a must watch. going to be fascinating to see how the young American how his weapons impact Francis, how the physicality Francis can bring. Is Mickelson ready for that test? Speaking of physicality, Manorino versus Nishioka in. You like veterans. How about Jordan Thompson versus, dare I say, the elder statesman 
of American men's tennis now, Dennis Kudla. And then Hijikata versus Kopfer, a couple of former All-American collegiate players doing battle. Dom Kopfer, uh, impressive 4-6 and six round one win over former Illinois All-American Alexander Kovacevic. Right now, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast, Tommy, 24.8% favorite. Ben Shelton, 21.2%. After that, you've got Tiafo 11.5%. Manorino, 12.9%. So anyone's ball game. That's the approximation of Tennis Abstract as it looks towards Dallas. Last but not least, things getting a little funky to kick off the South American clay court swing in Cordoba. Top seed Francisco Sarundolo was knocked out in his opening round match by Haumi Munar. Munar, always a tough out on the clay, but 5-4 and four win. He knocks out Sarundolo. It's been a tough start for Francisco Sarundolo here in 2024. He's now 2-4 overall on the year. His wins over non-top 100 players in Dane Sweeney, Dimitri Popko. He's lost exclusively to players ranked outside the top 50 as well, though. Losses to Muller, Marazan, Skatov, and now Munar, respectively. I mean, again, it's only six matches. He's breaking serve just 18.2% of the time. He's also holding just 64.6% of the time. First serve percentage is fine. Like, I'm looking at the numbers. Like, ace percentage is actually a little higher than normal. Double fault percentage lower than his career average. His second serve win percentage has fallen off of a cliff, but his first serve make percentage is right around his career average. It's just really sloppy right now. There's no connective thread between one shot and the next for Francisco Sarandolo. And obviously that's concerning uh, for the 25-year-old as he's got massive points to defend coming up in Miami. And certainly as we continue to progress, what does he have? He has quarterfinals Miami coming up to defend, quarterfinals Rome, a final in Lyon, a round of 16 Roland Garros. So look, a lot of that's the month of May and we're still in February, but... The level is nowhere near top 25 right now for Francisco Sarundolo. And again, Munar is going to pressure you. He's going to make you uncomfortable. Munar is a thorn in the side. That is just how death by a thousand paper cuts is his preferred style of play. But that is a tough loss for Sarundolo to kick off his South American clay court stretch. You also had AC to Roberto Carbayas Baena knocked out 6-4 and four by Facundo Bagnus, the qualifier. I don't know how shocking that result is. How about Tomas Martinech, very 5-4 and four over Zapata Marais. And then Federico Coria coming off of a challenger final last week, 1-3. He knocks out Alberto Ramos. Vinolas, don't worry, Vinolas still got three more shots to get at least what he's, I feel like he averages the over-under is always two and a half quarterfinals for him during this South American clay court stretch. So a rare moment where he doesn't get to that quarters on the first one, but still more attempts to come. You look at tomorrow's matchups, you've got Yannick Hoffman, who, by the way, did get a three-set win over my birthday brother, Juan Pablo Verdias, in round one. He'll take on qualifier Roman Andres Burak. Burakaga, who of course beat Schwartzman in round one. Uh, that's the matchup for Hanfman. Ofner going to take on Derderi. That's a fun one. If you haven't watched the young Italian Luciano Derderi, give him a look. Uh, Diego Torante going to take on Facundo Diaz Acosta. And then second seeded Seppi Baez going to take on Hugo Delian. You look at the tennis abstract forecast right now with Sarundolo eliminated Tomas Martin Echeverri. Now the favorite at 21.3%. That said, should Seppi Baez win tomorrow and join Martin Echeverri in the quarterfinal round, I imagine Baez will then become your slight favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles forecast, to capture the title. But, I mean, again, Munar, 
Bagnus, Echeverry, Coria. That's your top half quarterfinal matches. That, those names alone, that's how you know the South American clay court stretch has officially begun. That said, that's everything at the tour level this week. Let's quickly look at the 125K challenger level action as well, just to again offer you that update on where things stand at the 125K for the women in Mumbai. Uh, shout out to 16-year-old Alina Kornieva continuing to make a push up the rankings. We are inching closer and closer to having three 16-year-olds in the top 100. Kornieva, three-set winner over Srivali Rashmika Bamadipati uh, to advance to the quarterfinal of the 125. 5K where she will take on Storm Sanders. Sanders, the straight set went over fifth seeded Lara Pagosi. Shout out to former Ole Miss NCAA All American, or uh, excuse me, Ole Miss All American Ariane Hartano. Hartano uh, knocking out recent top 100 debutante Ariana Rodianova, uh, four and four in the round of 16. You also had the six seed Semenastasia, uh, a three set win over Hesse. Tomorrow's round of 16 matchups Valinets versus Bosal, Rostello versus Park, Uchijama versus Golfi. And then the younger, Polina Kudermatova, taking on Yamapali. That's where things stand in Mumbai right now. Your favorite, Storm Sanders, Kornieva, uh, 24.8%, 24.2% respectively. Then Volley Nets, 212 Tennis Abstract is literally telling you one of those three players is going to win the event. Everyone else a pretty distant uh, gap in the Tennis Abstract forecast. And then on the challenger side of things, you look at Nottingham. We did have Kyle Edmund eliminated round one by Yoris Delors, so he is no longer the favorite. The favorite is Abdullah Shelby, 25.5% for the former Florida Gator. Uh, he's through to the quarterfinals where he's got a date with the rising, talented Belgian. If you haven't watched 18-year-old Alex Block play, he's into another quarterfinal up to a new career high. He's inching closer and closer to the top 250 folks. Go watch the 18-year-old play. If you haven't already, that is a fascinating quarterfinal bout. And then shout out to the qualifier, former Georgia standout Hamish Stewart. Uh, Stewart knocking out former NCAA champion Paul Jubb in the round of 16 to reach the quarterfinals. He'll take on the big serving Frenchman Giovanni Pesci Pericard uh, tomorrow again. Shall be the favorite. After that, it's Billy Harris, 15.1%. In Bernie, quarterfinals are set. Adam Walton, uh, the top seed is through. And in fact, we have all but our number two seed. Second seeded, Yuta Shimizu, knocked out by former Miami standout Christian Langmo. Uh, other than that, seven of our top eight seeds all still alive as such. It's funny. Six seeded Yasutaka Uchiyama. He's the favorite, 27.5. Then Lee, two, 21.7. Adam Walton, 18.7. After that, and then last but not least, in Chennai right now, top seed Luca Nardi still alive as his second seeded Samit Nagal both through to the quarterfinals with straight set victories. Uh, right now, Nagal 41.1% favored after that. Nardi 19.4 after that. Big drop off uh, to the rest of the field. That said, folks, that's everything that happened on, again, a surprisingly standard Friday. Uh, excuse me, standard Friday. There you go. Surprisingly standard Wednesday. If that was a Friday, it was anything but standard. That was a surprisingly standard Wednesday uh, in the pro tennis world, of course. We will be back tomorrow to keep you updated on all the latest developments of our five tour-level events, as well as the 125Ks and Challengers happening on the calendar this week as well. Of course, also a reminder, kicking off this weekend, it's one of my favorite weekends we have. It's the Division One Women's Indoor 
Indoor Team Championships. We'll have coverage first ball to last starting Friday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, noon Eastern on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.